We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, everybody, fans of the New York Knickerbockers and whoever else is crazy enough to join us here on a September podcast slash live chat slash let's chat about whatever's going on in this world of basketball. I'm joined by the great DJ. And for those who don't know, DJ stands for detail. John. Oh, sorry. Detail junkie. Junkie. (laughs) I love that. I was, I was introing you DJ. You interrupted. I I know it's David John. (laughs) Anyway, Glad to be joined by DJ. Just interrupted my flow. He is the one of the great detail-oriented analysts out there, as you guys already know if you're here with us. Um, how's your summer been, man? It's been good. You know, I was just uh, just talking to my uh, wife, actually, how it's uh, it's kind of come and gone pretty quickly. Uh, kids have been back in school for about a week now. So as soon as that happens, you know, you're back into the grind that, uh, you know, you have some little ones too. So it just, it's, it happened. It, it, it went away. Now it's sort of trying to on the sports realm. It's been a, you know, if you're an NBA fan, you know, now that FIBA is wrapped up, it's a sort of a little bit of a dead zone here, but you know, there's, I think some interesting topics that we can get into, but you know, just uh, trying to get these uh, kids out and out the door every morning is, is always like a, a struggle. <laughs> I got out of bedtime tonight. So that's always a good thing. So <laughs> Yeah, that man. was a, a nice miss on my part, but yeah, it's been, it's been solid, man. How about you? Yeah. I guess the question now is how was your summer? Uh, I got to transition yeah. out. Uh, sadly, exactly. uh, yeah, everything's good over here. You know, we had the baby over the summer. I've been kind of mm-hmm. a little bit, uh, out of the loop in terms of what's going on. I, I did ca- get to catch a bunch of FIBA. And so I'm sure we'll get into a, a bit of that and, and maybe, I don't know, I, we're going to get to some super chats, right? That's, that's the deal tonight. But, sure. um, just a overview, quick couple takeaways you had from FIBA, kind of, let's say, top two points that you came away with. Uh, probably Knicks related because we are in KFS, yeah. but maybe even broader if you if you have it. Well, I, I just think that I was, and I know this is it's going to sound obvious, but I was struck by the difference in the FIBA game compared to the NBA game. And I think the difference is um, some subtle, some pretty large contributed to some uneven play by some of the Knicks um, players. Um, 
namely Jalen Brunson. I think there was uh, the lack of defensive three seconds, the um, sheer size that some of these teams are playing with. Uh, I was, it was, I think you may have tweeted it or someone else about just sort of uh, throwbacks uh, games or the post up play, the movement shooting, you know, there's, it's just a different game and the, and the U S has struggled a little bit over, you know, the last, uh, you know, handful of years in these uh, FIBA world cup, cup games, um, partly because we just don't send our best players, but also because, you know, there's a continuity thing. There is a, obviously a difference in, in play. So I just thought that, you know, watching these games, it's it really hits you in the face, the difference in style of play, the three point line being a little more condensed, not as uh, deep, I think kind of cramps some of the spacing that um, maybe uh, Jalen Brunson struggled with a little bit. Um, but overall, just a difference in, in play, you know, I watched it probably closer this year than in years past. And I think that was probably my big top line takeaway, just the difference. It's just a different game. And that's why some of these teams that are larger, that are more, that have been playing for years together can, can have these runs where, um, you know, on talent on paper, it doesn't look like they can compete, but, um, the game sort of tamps down the talent and the overall, uh, athletic ability. And it's more of an even playing field. And that's sort of why the U S has struggled, um, in some of these tournaments. Yeah, no, all great points. I agree. And I, you know, Nick specific, and I'll just say one thing and then we'll get to some, some chats. Um, you know, I think maybe it should have been predictable that Brunson wasn't going to have like a superstar tournament. I think, as you said, the spacing's not as good. He's, he thrives in space. Um, and he not having that, the the increased space in the NBA provides uh, definitely. And and then the defensive three second rule, like you said, I mean, we have bigs that can help out more yeah. liberally. And that again, takes away his space and he does need time and he does need space to operate. Uh, he's, he's incredible when he has that time and space, but he does need it. And that is, you know, I don't want to say a weakness, but it is something that limits him in this context. Um, and I think that was interesting to watch and kind of just like, um, reflect on as I'm, as I'm watching Brunson, not that he didn't struggle terribly, but I didn't think he was, he didn't stand out much. And yeah. I mean, he shot well, um, I think yeah. he shot maybe 50% overall from the field, but there was a, you know, it, I don't know if it is, you know, I, I don't want to get into a Halliburton thing, but I think there is something to be said about having a point guard that is a little more quick with the ball moving side to side. There were times where I, I think he missed passes where it was uh, one more swing and you would have had a, a shooter with a, uh, with a tough uh, uh, closeout um, happening, you know, in, in terms of like the pick and roll operation, you know, the U S actually scored, I think it ended up being like 65% in terms of the f- effective field goal when Jalen Brunson was running a pick and roll. So, I mean, they got good stuff out of it, but there was a flow issue that mm-hmm. definitely was not all on him. I mean, there was a lot of just, you know, there was in the Anthony Edwards factor where it was him bailing uh, the U S out a lot of times when they would get bogged down. So there wasn't much of a flow. And I think, um, and I know you've talked about this to me, the larger sort of thing that occurred with Brunson on the floor was like defensively, you know, they didn't like love him on some of the point guards, which, you know, harkens back to the playoff series against Miami specifically where the Knicks had him against some of the bigger wings um, against Germany he was guarding some of those big movement shooters. And it's just one of those things where it's a struggle fitting him into a defensive unit sometimes. And, and obviously without having the dominant rim protector that they came in anticipated, you know, having him and Reeves and Halliburton to an extent, you know, able to be hunted defensively was, 
was a problem. And I think that's even though you had some good defenders on the wings, probably not enough to make up for the fact that you have some some lead guards that just weren't up to the task defensively. And Brunson, you know, for all we we love him, but he he's part of that um, you know, issue. Yeah. And and look, I think as it as it relates to the both last next season and this coming one. I think we underrate a bit the degree to which the Knicks built an offense and 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 have complementary personnel to what Jalen Brunson does best. And like, there's a reason he he is super talented. He does certain things really really well. And the Knicks emphasized and um, what's the word I'm looking for? They 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 brought out those skills to the best of his ability. Like the, the isolation heavy offense favors him. It does. Like. The fact that they can put him on lesser wings and they have RJ and Grimes and quickly and Hart and all those good defensive wings that they have um, to support Brunson defensively, that's intentional. Like that's important. And the fact that they have a back line with a center who can always protect the rim is it's all the reason the Knicks succeeded last year is because Jalen Brunson's great. And it's also because they built a team around him that makes a lot of sense. Uh, and and I, I think you did see that um, in terms of the, the contrast between what it looked like in FIBA and the way it will look and has looked with the Knicks. Yeah, um, it's a great point. Um, and then last thing on that, again, we, we can move on. I think it's not just him. It's, you know, Brandon Ingram, a star level player struggling to fit in. Um, Anthony Edwards at times struggling to fit in, especially on the defensive end. And when you don't have these mega stars coming over and you have star players, but not superstar players that sort of need like Brunson, um, an ecosystem that fits what they're great at. You put all these guys in a, a, a on a team and you have a short turnaround. And you're trying to fit and trying to make a, a run against teams that have just been doing this for many, many years. It's tough. It's I, I think, um, you know, we underestimate that year after year in some of these tournaments, but it, uh, it hit us right over the head uh, in this uh, FIBA World Cup. Absolutely. And I'm sure we'll get into more discussions about this and about anything else going on in the NBA world or whatever you guys want to talk about. So with that, we'll we'll hit up whatever super chats are out there, Justin, if you don't mind throwing them up. Andrew Claudio going first. What's up, Andrew? GMAC. Important question that we all need an answer to. <laughs> Do either of you have any inventive, eco-friendly shower habits that you would recommend? Now. TJ should consider himself lucky that when I introed him, even though the, the intro that he rudely interrupted that I, because I, I had some thoughts about introing him yeah. as a, a bifurcated showerer. <laughs> that was how I was actually going to intro you. So why don't you uh, inform the, uh, the KFS fans for those who don't yeah. know about yeah. your fascinating lifestyle choices. Well, uh, to be honest, this has only been going on for a, a few years now, but I, I forget the Whoa. comedian and I should, I should have looked his name up because he had a fascinating uh, rant on showering. And his whole point was when you're in the shower and you start to lather up with the soap, turn the water off. Why do we need the water rinsing off everything? And, you know, his point is, you know, we wash our hands for 20, 30 seconds. And why aren't we like letting that soap sort of like marinate and get all get everything um clean and it was one of those like aha moments where ever since then I've been that's exactly what I've been doing and you know being down in North Carolina I can I will say you know it's not as cold as uh, it is up up north so I can understand the the lack of want to turn that water off and freeze in a shower however it is as Andrew uh, alluded to more eco-friendly I think it is clean uh, cleaner I just think it's a better way to shower and you in the KFS chat just 
destroyed me, made, uh, <laughs> made fun of me to no end about this. Um, ah. Although I did have some support, you know, more than I thought uh, amongst the more group. than I thought. God, I, I thought I, I mean, I, I will just say if you if you haven't tried to give it a shot and if you come back to me and, it would, and say, you know, this is terrible. It's a horrible idea. That's fine. But don't knock it until you try is my point. That's um, I I have no further comment on this. Listen, I just have no further comment. Um, we're going to move on. You guys can decide for yourselves about DJ and whether you want to ever support anything he does again. Uh, ben Kim Gurvey, what's up, Ben? Question for you. What are the top three, four things you look for when evaluating a player's defense? Does that change by position? If so, how? Importance of action of what they do or different actions. That's a great question, Ben. Thank you for asking it, DJ. Any? I'll let you. I'll let you hit this one first. Yeah. Um, so this is interesting because I was um, trying to figure this out. You know, we were. I, I had posted something on Twitter about you know things you may have over-indexed um, as you've you know as we started out trying to analyze players, and one of the things that. And this goes back to the Frank Nielakina days where I just, I was obsessed with the wingspan on the defensive end, especially if you were going to, you know, be a wing and someone that you, that has some versatility it was one of those things where I was just overly um, obsessed with. And I think you can certainly, it could certainly help. And if you add that on top of some awareness and some athleticism, you could certainly be a, a, a big time defender using that. But I think the, the, one of the things that I really look for and, to me, it gets underrated year after year. It's just sheer strength. And I think to be a really good defender, um, especially as a point of attack defender, you have to be strong enough to to, to handle it. Um, I think there is certain guys that can get by with it. And I think quickly is an interesting um, case study in that where he is a phenomenal team defender, but there, when he does struggle, struggle, it's when he is against some of the bigger physical guards or the quicker guards that can sort of get into his body and move him a little bit. Um, that's something for him, especially as he, get, as he gets into his, you know, 23, 24 um, age seasons, you know, can he add enough strength to mitigate some of the uh, strength uh, disadvantages he, he plays with? But, you know, strength is a big one. Uh, lateral quickness to me, I think is Huge. Um, and then just watching enough uh, film to get an idea of how someone reads um, an, an offense and how, you know, are they in the proper position? Are they, you know, if they're, if they're low man help, are they getting over in time? I mean, there are, are certain defenders that are big time highlight uh, guys, you know, Anthony Edwards just comes to mind as a guy that can make these amazing weak side blocks. But if you watch him closely, you'll see that there are times where he'll just, he clearly has the the tag the roller um, responsibility. He just got his you know hands on his uh, knees and he doesn't get over in time. And he's, he's not the only one. There are plenty of guys that sort of have this unreal athleticism, but maybe are a step or two uh, too slow. But you know that comes with just watching the film and trying to keep an eye and 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 really seeing how guys uh, move with the with the defense. So I think you know the awareness, the agility in terms of the athleticism and just overall strength are big things that I tend to tend to look out for. Yeah, all for sure. Really important. You know, Ben, I'm gonna I'm going to hone in on the language you use in evaluating a player's defense, which is less like projecting. Let's say if you're if you're truly like a draft analysis or like how are they going to defend on an NBA level. So like actually an a, evaluating a player's defense like that's currently in the league that I can watch film on. Um, the I don't know if there are really three or four things I look for um, as much as I just watch the guy. I think more than anything else, like on offense, you know, like if we're trying to break down a guy's film, a lot of it 
you can just like filter through all the shot attempts or his assists or his, I mean, it's always helpful to watch a full game and kind of just see how he moves and how I always find that's the best form of film study. But when it comes to defense, it's like, you just have to watch because so much of it is not going to result in anything. A good help side rotation doesn't actually necessarily lead to anything. It just means that the guy doesn't get a layup and has to kick it out. It doesn't necessarily like reflect in anything, any, any action. Um, it's more of what you prevent. Um, and so like, for me, it's really just watching the film and you can get a really good sense. If you watch enough of how a guy is rotating um, off the ball and then on the ball and to your question about, you know, does it change by position? I mean, I, a lot of it comes down to how you guard a pick and roll. That's the league. <laughs> the league is, is basically a series of pick and rolls with very few exceptions. Um, and so for a guard, yeah, it's how, how do you stay attached? Um, do you stay attached? Can you die on all your screens? Do you get around? Can you rear view contest? Um, and then for a big, depending on scheme, and it's important to understand what they're trying to do before assessing it, right? So what, what, what scheme are you playing? Are you in drop coverage? If you're in drop coverage, are you, are you ready to spring? Are your knees bent with your arms out so that you can play both the ball and you can play the pass? Um, if you're a switching big, obviously, and then it becomes an isolation defense, well, that's a whole different assessment and analysis. And then that comes down to some of the things that DJ talked about in terms of your lateral quickness, your ability to recover um, some of the physical attributes that some players have and some don't, and some are better than others at. Um, but it really is like defensive film and defensive analysis for me is just really about crunching the tape and watching, a, watching one guy throughout a full game. Like every minute he plays, what is he doing on the defensive end? Um, and you can get a pretty good sense, I think, of of the level of of defender that he is. And then you can use the data and supporting numbers that are out there to see if it hopefully corroborates what you've been seeing. Sometimes it does. If it doesn't, why? And th- those are the questions that come in when you're when you're analyzing all the film. Um, all right, let's hit the next question. Hit this one, DJ. Go ahead. Yeah. All right. This is from Rob. Thank you for the the chat. A common criticism of the Knicks' top three offense was ISO frequency. Do you think that's a coaching philosophy issue, or is that a result of the strengths of the Knicks' uh, personnel, especially JB and uh, Jalen Brunson and Jr. Julius Randall? Yeah, I think uh, I hate to, it's like a cop out, but I think it's a combination of the two. Um, you had mentioned in the intro how um, with Brunson specifically, the Knicks have sort of tailored their entire scheme offensively and sort of the personnel defensively to his strengths. And I think that's a hundred percent true. And I think there is probably something on the coaching side where the Knicks current offense, where it is ISO heavy and it relies a lot on uh, what um, Hartenstein and Robinson and Josh Hart can do on the offensive glass. It takes away a lot of the vari- variability. And if you're a control guy and that we know Tibbs is that, I think you are going to lean into an offense that can produce and can produce in ways that are very predictable. And you sort of know what you're going to get with the Knicks d- uh, day in and day out. Um, and that certainly that can limit maybe your ceiling. And we can have a broader conversation about how this offense can ultimately work in the playoffs. But in terms of the regular season, I think the Knicks are playing a style. Of, a, a ball that is just fits what they currently have. And I think Thibodeau 
if he had different players, like I don't think he is such a um, stickler for this sort of offense where this would be what he would run if it was a um, Trey Young led offense to, or um, a Kawhi Leonard. I think he is running this offense because I think it does get the best out of the personnel that they have. And, you know, I think that he's going to lean into that. And I don't, I don't know if it's, I, I think it's the right decision, especially in the regular season. I think this team is going to win upwards of uh, in the in the upper 40s in terms of wins and maybe get into the the low 50s if things really break for them so i think they're doing what I, this offense is built for and you know i i don't know how you can argue it the, the question is what are the when the when the team has sort of figured it out you know what are you going to next like do you need to have the you know the change of pace so to speak you know in the playoffs that is something that we that is a tough question to answer but for the regular season uh specifically i think the knicks are doing this because this is who they have as personnel i so um is what brunson does uh, best i think randall for you know that he's really good in that situation I, I i don't know what other offense they could run that would uh bear uh better results yeah it it is it's absolutely both it's it's maybe the most important question, Rob, that the Knicks face because there's no question that it worked. There's no question that it emphasizes the player's strengths, both I think Brunson and Randall specifically, and Mitchell Robinson. Um, it by being isolation heavy, your turnovers are going to generally stay down, and you're going to get shots up. You're going to get shots at it, and that also leads to offensive rebounds. Um, and you have in Brunson, an elite isolation player. Uh, and Randall, I would say, although the efficiency hasn't always been there, I think he's good at drawing and kicking and has games where he's very effective in isolation. Um, and so it is both a it is both a compliment and it is a fair critique. Now, what bothers me at times is that the, the critique comes without recognizing the compliment, right? Like you can criticize the offense and you can say that it was one of the reasons they struggled so much against elite defenses like Miami and even Cleveland to some extent. Um, and I think that's fair. As long as you also recognize that, that that very offense was third in points per possession in basket in the NBA last year and was a, the primary reason, because their defense wasn't all that great last year, the primary reason why they were where they were. Um, I think you need to recognize both. And I think ultimately... It's going to be important if this team has dreams of the next level and if they get another star and whatever, whenever and however they do it, it is going to be important for this coach to start to build out a little variability offensively. And I don't know if this coach is necessarily the one that's going to be able to do that. And that'll be interesting. And that'll be an important question to ask. But for now, like and where this team is, I think you have to say that it is for the most part tailored to the players they have and it is working. It is working. Um, the other thing I'd say about it is. Tibbs has shown the ability to adjust in other circumstances. It's like when Derek Rose, the year that Derek Rose was out with his ACL in Chicago, he ran his offense to Joakim Noah at the high post. Now the Knicks don't have a center that can do that. Now maybe they could run more through Randall at the elbow, but you're always going to have a spacing issue when you have centers that don't space the floor. And Mitchell Robinson, not only can he not space the floor, he can't really do anything with the ball. And that is limiting um, in terms of what you can run. You can't run the Kings offense that they run through DeMontis Sabonis all DHOs left and right with spacing around when you have Mitchell Robinson sitting in the paint. It's just not feasible. And you can't run like a Warriors offense or even a Miami offense that they run through Bam when you don't have the types of players who move and shake and pass that way. Like that's just not Randall and Brunson. It never will be. 
right? So like there is, there are some limiting factors in terms of personnel. That's not to say they can't add some variability, but I I do think it needs to be recognized that it has largely worked and it does emphasize the strengths of the players that they have. I 100% agree. Um, Now, in terms of the variability, could you, because I watched, uh, and this is going to tie into FIBA a little bit where, you know, I think there was some good that RJ um, Barrett put out uh, in uh, in FIBA that was heartening. I thought the shooting, the the new shooting form, I think is is going to, um, I think he's going to shoot it better this year. Put it that way. Now, the thing that really jumped out for me watching him is how often he would get out in transition, and I think that alone kind of made his overall field goal percentage, you know, decent. Is because he just got out in transition much more than he did. Um, it really has at any point with the Knicks, and I'm wondering if. You know, because we know that RJ has sort of been the guy that that ran the second unit a little bit last year. Could you have a lineup where you have Hartenstein, Barrett, uh, DiVincenzo, um, Hart quickly, that sort of unit where you can maybe inject a little more pace? And it was something that they did a little bit with Hart last year. You know, as soon as he came in, um, you know, the team did move a little better. Now, that ultimately is not going to get you that far because your team is going to go as far as Brunson and Randall are going to take you. Um, but in terms of injecting a little bit of variability, I think with DiVincenzo now, who is a good mover without the ball, just a smart, heady player, decent cutter, um, really good spacer in terms of like his depth of where he could shoot from. I think there might be something with RJ as being your pseudo like lead offensive guy with that second unit where you could have a little more pace from the beginning of the season where you can have this sort of first unit where it is ISO heavy and it's going to grind you. Um, and the second unit with RJ and Hartenstein where there's a little more, maybe a little more flow, but just a little, lot more pace. And I think that in the regular season can sort of get you there, but in the playoffs, you know, it's 40 minutes or Brunson, 40 minutes for Randall. Yeah. It's not leaving you, you with much time to have any variability. So that's going to be the offense, but at least in the regular season, I think there is opportunity with the depth and the, and the, and the sort of interchangeable pieces the Knicks have, especially at the two and the three where you could have a little more uh, pace movement. Um, and that's something that where I think for that's to me, a reasonable expectation of what I think the coach can do. Um, so, you know, as we go into the, you know, uh, training camp and preseason, that'll be one of the things I'll be looking for, you know, what type of second unit will this team really be? Yeah, and that's been a feature of the second unit since Tibbs has been here. And that was a lot of Derrick Rose uh, in uh, the We Here season. And then last year when Josh Hart came in, and Josh Hart is a is an excellent transition player. Uh, and he added a, a much-needed jolt of pace to the offense and quickly generally plays faster. And obviously, Obi was someone who craved transition, that the team didn't always give him that opportunity, give him that air. Um, and Obi lo- losing Obi is going to hurt the transition game for sure. Cause that guy is very fast and runs very fast in transition, but um, no, no doubt. I think, you know, that's a bit of a separate question in terms of pace, like in terms of uh, there's variability in the half court and then there's mm-hmm. pace, but I agree that pace will benefit RJ. And I think Canada generally was more aggressive and scheme defensively, which led to more turnovers. Plus they had guys like Shea right. and Dylan Brooks who were going to force a lot of turnovers and, and Dort, which the Knicks struggle to do both in terms of their scheme, because they're very conservative and because of their personnel, because they don't have guys who force a lot of turnovers. So Josh Hart helped that as well so we'll see i agree though in general like trying to get rj out in transition trying to just play with a little more pace in general would be would be helpful um all right cool let's hit the next question shall we new gizzle that is a terrifying picture new gizzle (laughs) how will our offense change with the addition of dante slash subtraction of obi ah good segue 
we have just been talking about that. Um, mm. Well, I'll, I'll start with this one. I, Dante is going to add a level of spacing that Obi, although he improved his shot, was largely ignored. Um, and you, they will not, they will not ignore Dante DiVincenzo on the perimeter. Now, if he plays with Josh Hart, they will kind of ignore Josh Hart. So, but you can, your second unit's just going to have more shooting, assuming Hart, you know, playing the four in a more kind of traditional sense. I think as as more of a wing than Obi, I just think you'll have a little bit more spacing. And and look, DiVincenzo can play with the starting lineup too and add some spacing. It was a team that did not shoot the ball well last year. Um, their three point percentage just wasn't very good, and. I think adding a shooter of Dante DiVincenzo's caliber is important. And then the stuff that DJ mentioned as well, he's, he's an intuitive offensive player and that's something the Knicks struggle with at times. He's a cutter. He's a, he's a space filler. He he'll swing it. He's a connector in some ways, um, which I think Obi was to some extent too, but DiVincenzo has maybe proven it on a, on a bit of a higher level. So I think those are two key. I don't think the offense is going to change all that much, to be honest with you. I think he'll mostly be out there spacing. He'll run a second side pick and roll. Um, he'll be mostly spacing and then playing off the catch, but I just think adding that, that spacing element and adding the quick decision-making will definitely improve the overall offensive outlook. Yeah, I agree hundred percent. I, I don't think, you know, going from, you know, top into heart, you know, I think both guys are treated roughly the same as shooters, mm-hmm. um, in terms of like, you know, each one can, I think have, they're not bad shooters, but I just don't think that, as you mentioned, they're, they're not guys that are, are teams aren't paying attention to them and they're more than happy letting them get shots up, especially above the break, which, you know, if you watch FIBA, you'd saw time and time again. Um, and this brought up some bad memories from the Miami yeah. series where Brunson would get, would penetrate and there would be one simple pass to heart all alone, top of the key. And more times than not, he wasn't making that pass. And that, that's something that you just have to, to reckon with, but you just hope there is enough pace with this uh, second unit where I, I don't, you know, yes, Obi was great in transition, but I just don't, you know, there's pace just sprinting up and down the floor, but there's also like pace with like, and this is something Obi was really good at as well. So I don't want to, I'm not knocking him, but you know, just in terms of like the ball moving quickly, I, you know, I don't, I think the Knicks will be a little better in that regard with Hart and with a full season and DiVincenzo. So I just think the, the ability to just to have a little more movement, not at not necessarily as movement shooters, but more just moving the basketball quickly um, and side to side, getting the ball around the perimeter and getting guys, you know, with, with tough cl- uh, closeouts because it just seemed like, you know, the Knicks are good with driving and kicking and getting those corner threes up. And it's something I think that you can sort of lean into a little more with DiVincenzo. And he's a really good re- uh, relocator. It's something the Knicks don't have other than quickly, you know, they don't have a guy, you know, we haven't seen Grimes do it a ton. But in terms of not having the, the initial shot, uh, passing it and then moving or an offensive rebound, relocating, getting that that open look, uh, some things that DiVincenzo could um, bring to the floor. So I'm just excited to see him play. I think his addition has been a little under the radar. Um, I, I, I think that he's going to be, you know, it's tough to know where the minutes are going to come. And I think that's sort of where the, um, I think that's tempering things a little bit because I just don't, you don't know, is he going to be a, 50 minute a, a night guy, 25 minute a night guy. But in terms of like where this roster is, there's 10 guys that deserve minutes. So unless there is some trade out there, but you have to assume there isn't. So it, it's just tough to sort of, when you factor in all the guys that, that need minutes, you know, where are all the minutes coming from? But I think his 
just ability to, he's had a great basketball education, um, you know, from Villanova to Milwaukee to Golden State. So just having a smart, heady player on this roster, it, it's going to be. You skip, a, you, skip Sacra- you skip Sacramento there. And, uh, maybe I did. Intentionally, yeah. <laughs> I <don't> um, <laughs> wait, you said 10. Uh, it's a nine man rotation, right? Who is the 10th? Who, who's the, who am I missing? You're saying Deuce, uh, like Deuce like deserves minutes. Well, I mean, I think he deserves minutes. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. he won't. He's he's the easy guy to say. Oh, you're not. He's playing spot minutes, and if there's an injury, maybe yeah. he's going to play a little. But more even at, even within the nine man rotation, it's it's going to be a tricky. Yeah. It's going to be a tricky allocation of minutes. Uh, my guess is he settles around like 20, 20 a night. Um, but because whereas Obi only played the non Julius minutes, which mm-hmm. is why he only played ten to twelve. Um, DiVincenzo can mix and match with all the wings, right? Like he's not, he's not a traditional four at all. So I think he'll settle probably 20 ish. If I had a guess that said, it could change. I think depending on performance, um, it could, he could end up, look, if Grimes really struggles early on or whatever, and DiVincenzo shoots the lights out, like, is it possible that DiVincenzo starts getting, yeah, absolutely possible. Like Tibbs isn't going to mess around because because Grimes is young. Like that's not his style. So um, I think it's going to be it's going to be some pressure on these guys between Hart. Well, Hart's probably going to get his minutes between quickly, uh, R, uh, quickly RJ Grimes and even Chenzo. Like there's going to be some competition in terms of earning minutes, and it's going to largely depend on how they shoot and how they defend. Uh, so we'll see how that goes. Let's hit the next question, shall we? Ben's back. Rokas versus Deuce. Oh my God. Who is better and who best fit? That is a very difficult question to answer, Ben. Yeah. I will let DJ take it first because it's difficult. Yeah. Well, thank you. Um, you got it. Well, who's better? Um, oh, wow. Let me take the second part first. <laughs> I, I need to sort of like have my brain answering the second part and then in trying to figure out the answer to the first part here. So the better fit right now is Deuce strictly because. He's a younger player. He's perfectly fine with the sort of expectations and um, of what he's going to bring this year. You know, if there's an injury, as we just talked about, maybe you play five or six games in a row where you're playing 10 to 15 minutes. You're going to defend like hell. You're going to be competent moving the ball on offense. And I think you're going to shoot it pretty well. I I think Rokas uh, right now, um, because he is, you know, he's a really accomplished international player at this point. And really impressed me at FIBA. He just isn't, you know, for his career, his long-term outlook. It is not a good fit for him to come over to a team that we just talked about. How already has nine guys that are that should be getting fifteen to twenty minutes plus a night. So, in terms of the fit, clearly it's it's Deuce right now. Now, in terms of long-term, they're very different players. So it's almost it's very hard to compare the two. Although we we both would agree, you know, they are in a perfect world, you're, you know, sort of a lead guard. Uh, I don't think either one of them are starters uh, is going to be a starter. I don't necessarily think Rokas has the defensive uh, ability nor the the high level shooting ability to be a really good NBA starter. But I do think there is, you know, a really good backup um, versatile player there that you can play 15 to 25 minutes a night in the NBA and, you know, get some scoring. He's a, I think he's, his passing has improved. I think he's really good um, in, in the pick and roll to get his own shot. Now uh, his overall passing ability, I think is uh, a little bit limited. Um, I would say better ceiling right now. I would say Rokas um, by a little bit. I think uh, right now the fit though, I think is uh, clearly a deuce for what the Knicks are needing right now. 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, largely covered my thoughts. I agree. And I think, look, I've seen Deuce impact the game at a pretty high level already on the NBA level. And so I'm going to lean there. I haven't seen Rokas mm-hmm. do that. Obviously, he hasn't had a chance. Uh, I, w- I had, ever, uh, had the opportunity to watch a few of Rokas' game. I will say, like, all of his success came, he ran a million pick and rolls in FIBA. Like, he ran, uh, he had the ball all the time, and he has great pick and roll craft. And, like, I pushed back a little bit. I thought his passing was pretty, pretty high level. Um, and he kind of makes all the classic pick and roll. A lot of these European point guards are really good at making the, just the classic reads on a pick and roll, whether it's the pocket pass or the swing pass, you hit the opposite corner. Like they have that all kind of down and Rokas does. And that's where you get to fit where it's like, well, where is he getting the opportunity to do that? Uh, you know, it's probably as a backup point guard, but with the Knicks as currently constructed, like with quickly um, and RJ and Brunson, like how, how is he going to get the opportunity to run a bunch of pick and rolls? You know, you think of like, it would have to be like almost like a, the way Pablo Prigioni plugged in in the 2013 mm-hmm. era. And he would get to run his share of pick and rolls on the second unit. That's probably like what it would look like. Um, but yeah, Deuce is just the easier fit as like a theoretical three and D guy. Now he's got to make more threes. And I think maybe he will. But he's really, really, really stout defensively. And again, building a team around Jalen Brunson and Julius Randle, it's really important to surround them with guys who guard. Uh, and Deuce is, it fits in beautifully. And he, again, he's, every time he's out there, he's made an impact. Like he's just been, he's been really good for them. So I, I, I do lean Deuce as well. And that said, in turn, like I liked a lot of what I saw from Rokas. I'm not sure about his off ball shooting. Like it's, again, the line's short. He shot well in the tournament, but the line is shorter. And it, it does take a bit of time for him to get that shot up. Uh, and Deuce has a really high release and a pretty quick release, even though, again, he hasn't shot it that accurately yet. But I have some faith that, that it will come around. So um, that's kind of where where I come out. But uh, excited about how Rokas did. And I'm hoping that at some point he'll come over and we'll see what he can do. Yeah, just really hard. Uh, you mentioned the defense for Deuce. To be six two with a you know I know he's got a he's got a insane wingspan but to be his size and impact the game every single time he's on the floor defensively in such a eye opening way he he's just such a unique defensive player and um great scouting um by the Knicks in terms of getting a guy you know in at where they picked him in the uh, I believe it was the second round or was it late first round um. I think it was the second round. Second round. To get him, yeah, to get him where they, they, they got were, They him. were picked like three picks apart, the two of them. Rokas exactly, exactly, right. So to do what he can do defensively, I mean, just a, a phenomenal job. And it's, it's, it was his calling card, obviously, at college, but it's to, for it to translate really from day one, he's been good defensively. And you're like, if he can make shots, I mean, he's clearly uh, an NBA player. Uh, so I, I just had, you know, Knicks have been have had great injury luck these last few years. But I, I just, you know, he'll get his time this year, and I think he's going to you know, do the most with it. He's a good player. No question. All right, let's see the next question. Hey there, Knicks fans. It's your boy, Jonathan Macri. You've been hearing me talk about Barry and his team over at the law offices of Weiss and Rosenblum for almost a year now. It's a partnership I'm very proud to be a part of because as a former personal injury attorney myself and a Knicks fan, I know the difference that a great legal team can make. 
Barry has been at this for over 35 years and has informed me that since the 2023 Knicks season ended, he has resolved cases in the amounts of 1.4, 1.5, 1.75, and $3.75 million, as well as obtaining winning results on many less significant cases. Just like the great basketball franchises, Weiss and Rosenblum's long track record of sustained excellent results speak for themselves. Visit them at weissandrosenblum.com today and explore for yourself, or better yet, give Barry a call at 212 212- 366-6100, where he will offer a consultation on your possible matter completely free of charge, as well as chat about the upcoming Knicks season as he has been a rabid fan for over 50 years. You know the tagline. If you think you might have a case, talk to a veteran attorney, not a rookie. No case is too big or too small. That number again is 212-366-6100. Previous results do not guarantee future outcomes. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, this is from Jordan Bubb. Uh, thank you for uh, the comment. What weaknesses do you see in this roster? Which players' internal development can mitigate this roster flaws slash improve this roster's uh, floor and ceiling. All right. So what weaknesses you see in this roster, which players internal development can help mitigate it? Well, we talked about some of the spacing concerns and, you know, when it comes to Josh Hart, who's going to get his fair share of minutes, you know, he is what he is as a shooter at this point. Um, I touched on RJ's uh, shooting form in FIBA. You know, he's adjusted his form again, which, you know, I think this is at least the third time, since he's come into the NBA that where, where there's been a significant, you know, shooting form change. And, you know, for a 23, 24, 20, 23 year old player, that's, that's not the best sign because you're, you don't want to be tinkering that much because you're tinkering for a reason. But I do think he has sort of figured out a form that has less moving parts. It's more of a classic one motion shot, which to me, when you're a, a guy that struggles with touch and just struggles as a shooter, getting rid of some of the extra extraneous movement is a positive sign. So I have been relatively bullish on RJ shooting even before this shooting um, adjustment in terms of the form, because I just think as a worker, he is, um, I just think he's as good as it gets and he's going to will himself into being a competent shooter. And if he can get to, you know, where he shot at FIBA, which is 37% on decent volume, I think eventually that'll allow him teams to sort of treat him like a decent shooter and not um, a non-shooter because obviously you can make shots and still be treated as a, as a non-shooter and you're really not helping your offense that much. So I think spacing is a, um, a weakness, but I think RJ's development as a shooter 
can turn that into not a, maybe not a strength, but something that, um, you know, I don't think teams can exploit as um, heavily. So, you know, I think RJ is going to, he's going to shoot it decently. So I'm, I'm, I'm pretty hopeful that, you know, he's going to be a decent shooter this year. And then obviously the ceiling could be, um, you know, even a little better, you know, in terms of his age and his development curve. So I think that's the one I would uh, hone in on. Um, what say you? Yeah, I would say uh, the weaknesses I see on this roster, the, the main one is shooting. And you spoke to RJ improving. I would really like to see Emmanuel quickly improve as a shooter. Um and kind of catch up to his reputation coming into the league as a shooter, I think he needs to shoot the ball better this year. Uh, there were times and stretches of the season where he mightily struggled to make shots. And for him to reach his ceiling as an offensive player, he's going to have to become like a pretty consistent knockdown three-point shooter, both off the catch and off the dribble. Uh, and then Quentin Grimes as well, like shot really well second half of the year. I think he has capability of being a 40% three-point shooter. I'd like to see that. Um, and then, you know, if those, if those three guys all tick up, you know, I think Josh Hart is what he is. Like he's, he's late in his career. You know, he shot really well for the Knicks, but on low volume, you know, second half of the year. Um, DiVincenzo is going to help, as we mentioned. I think Randall, I'm probably okay. I know he, he, his volume was crazy high and he made enough to make defenses respect him. I think overall was a boost to the offense, even though his percentages weren't that high. I don't expect him to become like lights out again. Um, but I think if you see the, from the young guys, from Grimes and from quickly and from RJ, that'll help a lot. And then the other one is size. Um, because while they do have two centers, seven footers who do a lot of the dirty work for them, you know, you move OB and you bring in DiVincenzo and not only are, do you have a lot of wings, but you have pretty small ones. Mm-hmm. It's not a big roster. Um, and in terms of what internal development can mitigate that issue, well, I'm going to hone in on RJ again. RJ is the de facto big wing and he's yep. going to have to play at times of, at the four and he's going to have to rebound. And one thing about the FIBA performance that was encouraging was there were a couple of games where he really rebounded hard and well. A couple of games where he had nine. Um, I'd like to see his rebounding tick up. I really would. And he's going to have to contribute on that end um, in terms of playing like a big wing that I think he, he, I think he can. I think that's going to be an important step too. So yep. um, RJ's development is important on both ends, as you can see. Yeah, absolutely is. And you know, it, there it's when that... That offense and the with the first unit, we talked about how slow they can they can move, but when they can when they're fast, it's usually when RJ rebounds the ball and just goes. Yeah, yeah, he absolutely. Doesn't, he doesn't make the best decisions um, in terms of like choosing when to finish some of those plays, but getting RJ in transition was something I talked about earlier. One of the ways that he could do it, even on that first unit, is as you mentioned, rebound the basketball on the defensive end and just going and seeing what you can get out of it because I think he's just really tough to stop when he has a full head of steam. Um, you know, his athleticism is not great in half court, but when he is going um, full speed, he's just really tough at 220 pounds to stop. And if the decision-making can improve in terms of when to kick it out, when to finish, what type of finish to shoot to the sort of um, pick in that situation. I think that is a, a big, a big deal for this team, especially that first unit, which when they're going to run, it's usually RJ um, getting the ball and going. So yeah, I agree on both ends, you know, him defending the ball, um, rebounding, and then using that ability to get out and transition could really help this uh, team get some more pace too. Awesome. All right. Let's see the next question. 
Brian Valderrama. What's up, Brian? If RJ's inconsistency continues next season, do you see his minutes declining? If so, who do you predict take this minutes? Yeah, so I mean, we can make the. I, I touched on this earlier. I do think it's going to be a competition. I think RJ will get 30 minutes to start the season of a game, give or take. And I think if he really struggles, um, you now have more guys that are waiting to take those minutes when you brought in Dante DiVincenzo. Um, so, yes, I do. I think... Again, I think Josh Hart's going to probably get his 28-30 no matter what because he's really important to what they do and uh, Tibbs guy through and through and was incredibly impactful for them last season. Um, you can't really argue that, even with his weaknesses. Um, the question's going to be between, I think, Grimes quickly and RJ and DiVincenzo. I think those four guys will, to an extent, be fighting for minutes, and I think it will, to an extent, be based on performance. Well, I mean, that is something that you know, is a little bit of concern if you're, you know, RJ, who we just know it's, it's sort of like a tradition, like no other, where he's going to come out and struggle. He can't afford that this year, because as you mentioned, there is a lot of competition and there just doesn't seem to be, um, and there's obviously, there's no reporting to this, but I just, there just doesn't seem, I don't think there's going to be the appetite to sort of let RJ get his 20 or so games underneath them. And then he's going to work his way back into the fold in terms of his shooting and his efficiency and the defensive stuff. So I am hopeful that he can carry on. I think what was a really productive playoff uh, run and a solid FIBA run to a really strong start this year. I think that if there is going to be a time for him to have a strong start, it's going to be the, uh, this year because I think there's a lot for him to build on, including, um, I think, a you know, a, a shooting form that is going to be more conducive to better efficiency. And just the fact that, you know, he's at an age now where a lot of guys sort of make that leap. Um, you know, obviously there's going to be, you know, some usage issues in terms of like how much is he's not, I don't know how many points he's going to end up averaging, but I just think if he can be a better defender and a just more, a better decision maker, um, you know, this team can really, um, I think he'd be the third best player on a really good team. And I think that's what the, this roster needs, but yeah, I mean, if he performs poorly the first five or five to 10 games, even, I think there's going to be the whispers and I, I just don't think the leash is going to be as long this year. I think this team is, has some high aspirations and they just can't wait around for, you know, RJ to work himself into a season 20 or so games in. Yeah. It's going to be fascinating. Like how, how these minutes are allocated. Who's the closing lineup, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's Brunson and it's Randall and it's either Hartenstein or Mitch, whoever's playing well, that seems Tibbs kind of rode whoever he thought was best for mm -hmm. that matchup or who was playing well last year. That's fine. I think that's totally reasonable. Um, so it's those three are like locked in. And then, but we saw all of quickly Hart, Grimes, RJ, they all finished sometimes and they all didn't finish sometimes. And yeah. DiVincenzo is a finishing quality player. If he's, if he makes four threes in the game, I'm not, I wouldn't be surprised if Tibbs finishes with him on the floor. Like, I, well, and, and if you had to rank those guys, would you say Josh Hart is the most likely right now? Yes. To be I think he's going to be group? closest yeah. to a staple in the closing right. group. So that agree. leaves one spot. Yeah. And, and that's good. Look, it's going to be difficult. Um, and some guys are going to be unhappy. And I think if everything goes chalk and the other thing, right. If Hart plays and Hart is in that lineup, then the worst compliment to him of all the guys I just mentioned is RJ in terms of spacing. So like, right. It, it, it gets complicated. Like when the Knicks went on their real role at the end of the year, they were mostly finishing with Brunson quickly Hart. Randall center. Um, 
And I don't know. And I, that's okay. And you can fi- finishing doesn't mean everything. And I'm like, that might be their best finishing lineup. And RJ can still get 30 minutes again a night because he's going to play with the second unit and they'll stagger and whatever. That's fine. But I, I'm just I'm, I'm I'm illustrating how much of a crunch it's going to be at those positions. And there are going to be guys who aren't going to be thrilled with their minutes. Uh, and it's going to be somewhat based on performance. And it'll be a competition. All right, let's get the next question out. Andrew P, thanks for the contribution, Andrew. Why does Evan Fournier succeed in FIBA and not with the Knicks? Um, TJ, you want to take that first? I, yeah, I think there are just a ton of talented basketball players in the NBA. And I think that there, for whatever reason, you know, things don't go well with certain teams and you fall out of favor. But I, I've said this uh, many times. Uh, over the past couple of years, I don't think the league has ever had a deeper set of players uh, in terms of uh, talent than what we have this year. I think Evan Fournier is still a quality NBA player. I just think that he just for his fit with the Knicks, his some of his deficiencies um, are just stand out with this roster and, you know, things went sour and that doesn't take away from the fact that he is still an amazing shooter. I mean, you, he, he, throughout his career, he's been a great shooter off movement. Now off, you know, he, I think he's a decent pick and roll player and you have talented guys that are in a situation in the NBA where things aren't working and things are just, you know, for whatever reason, aren't, aren't meshing with their current roster. They go over to FIBA and they're playing with guys that they've been playing with for many years and, and you're in power to do things that he clearly isn't in the, on the um, Knicks roster. I think he can show that he is a still a really good player. And I, I don't think he was as good this FIBA as he was um, at the previous uh, World Cup um, or the previous uh, Olympics. But I just think he's a he's still a good player. He's still, you know, relatively, you know, he's not old by, you know, he's, you know, he's not young. But I, I, felt, I think he still has a couple more years of um, a play left where he's, you know, in his pseudo prime. But I, I think that he's only know, 30. Only 30. I so thought he was like 32. He's only 30. Yeah. Yeah. He's only 30. You know, I mean, so, you know, he consider him to be in his prime still. And he's just a couple, you know, years removed from, you know, breaking a Knicks record in terms of three pointers made. So, you know, he's, he's just like, he's a good player that just doesn't fit with this roster for whatever reason. He's, he's fell out of favor with the head coach, but, you know, he didn't lose his talent overnight. He still has that. And he's, you know, I just think that when you're empowered, and it's like anything in life, right? If you're given confidence and you're empowered to do something that you can still do, you're going to perform better, you know, in that situation. So, you know, obviously I think that that is um, a big part of it. And, um, you know, I, I just, I, I don't think he's a bad NBA player, I guess is the point. And when you're in FIBA and you're, you're, you're given the reins to do a little bit more then you can show yourself some skill. Yeah. Yeah. It, uh, echoing all of that and, and adding like, I, like it's easier for anybody when an offense is kind of built around you. Like, and for a lot of these international guys where like the, the, let's say the roster has, I mean, France is one of the better international teams normally, although they went out early this year, but like, he's one of the best players, one of the best French players in the world. So like, they're going to build an offense to try to get him the shots that he wants. And that's not necessarily the Knicks priority, even though they signed him to a pretty big deal. Like they have other guys who, and uh, who they're considering when they're building their offense. And it's not all for Evan Fournier. And I think that explains some of it. I also think defensively, the physicality that's allowed on the perimeter in FIBA helps him a lot because mm-hmm. he's slow. And in the NBA, you, you're slow and you can't touch a guy. It's impossible to stay in front. In FIBA, he's able to kind of rough people up a little bit and that allows him to kind of stay in it 
on the defensive end. Um, and he's also, got Rudy Gobert, and you're allowed you know, to lack up defensive him. three seconds, so you can sort of maybe have a more yep. of a wall and less ground to co- and less ground to cover. Yeah. All of yeah. that, all of that's helpful. Um, and then uh, also, the Knicks paired him with Kemba Walker and then Jalen Brunson, and that is the worst possible place to put that guy in. He needs to be hidden defensively, and the mm-hmm. Knicks put him in positions where you couldn't hide him. And that was unfortunate. It's not his fault. I mean, I mean, it, it's his fault that he's not a very good defender, but it's not his fault that they paired him with point guards who needed to guard the worst perimeter players. So he has to guard someone that's better than that. And he's just not suited for it. It's not who he is. And when you say, like, why does he succeed in FIBA not with the Knicks? That's pretty relative because he succeeded to some extent two years ago where he's one of the five best shooters in the league. He made a gazillion threes. He had a pretty good offensive year. It, it just wasn't a great fit with the roster. And that's ultimately why he's out of the rotation. So I think all that together maybe explains, explains the difference. Thanks, Andrew. Got the next question up. Jordan's back. Jordan asks, what player would you want on the Knicks more Embiid or Giannis? TJ, talk to me. So trying to think who would cost more. I would, I guess Giannis would cost a little more, but putting that aside and just sort of... I think it's probably both the farm. Yeah, so maybe it's negligible. They're both yeah. going to cost a ton. Yeah. Um, I would say Giannis. Um, I think it's probably closer than maybe some would think. I, I think I, you, you have to give the edge Giannis right now because he's won a title. He's been the best player on a championship team. He's been He's performed amazingly as, as good as you can perform in, in the finals, um, before, um, he's a, I think he might be a year younger. There's probably a little bit less in, you know, even though he had the knee injury and the back injury last year, I think there's a little less concern in terms of injury. Um, now with that said, I do think there is a world where if Embiid gets into a little bit better shape because he is so much more skilled that he might age actually a little bit better than Giannis in terms of over, over the next three to four years. But over the next, you know, if you're just projecting out two, because I don't think you can in the NBA, you can go beyond two years. I think you can probably get a, lo- a better player out of Giannis. Um, and now the, the question is the fit, right? Because you can't have Giannis and, and Mitch. So, I mean, you can't have maybe Mitch is in the trade and you got to figure out a, a center that can space the floor. So it does sort of change a lot in terms of what you can, what you'd have to build around him. But I mean, right now I think Giannis, um, you know, has a little bit more left in the, in the tank that I'm confident in over the next couple of years. And um, I think in the playoffs, he's, he's done it before. So yeah, I think you have to give him a little bit of an edge. Yeah, don't have much to add. I agree um, with everything that you said, both uh, on both sides of the argument. I would lean Giannis as well, and I think he's a, a, the durability thing also. And while you're right that like I'm a little nervous about Giannis, not in terms of injury risk, but in terms of just like his how does this game age without a without mm-hmm. a jump shot? Um, he just know, and be you know. although he's been like relatively healthy over the last several years, you know, he's had a long injury history. It's a lot of weight on those knees. um, And you just don't know. You just don't know. So there's a lot of risk there. Um, And so I I would also lean honest. Yeah. um, I think that the, where can Giannis add? I, I, I've, I'm trying to think, you know, can he add a jump shot? Are we beyond the point of him adding that element to his game? You know, I think you're shaking your head. Um, I, don't think so. I don't think so either. So, 
the aging of uh, his game is going to be interesting because right. He's still the best transition player in the NBA in terms of, um, well, I'm not even going to qualify in terms of Giannis. Yeah. In terms of Giannis, he's greatest. (laughs) He's he's arguably the greatest transition player in the NBA. He was, um, he was great last year. Still. I I still think he's not in history. Like he would do. He's a short list. It's a short list and he's on it. Yeah. He's on it. And he's still, you know, he does enough in terms of, uh, He's an amazing finisher still. Um, I think you can probably get two to three years of pretty peak athleticism out of him. Um, obviously, you can't predict any injury, but he's still... And then defensively, I think I like him a little better than Embiid in terms of the versatility. Mm-hmm. A little more versatile, yeah. So I, I just... And, and especially in the playoffs, I think he's just proven to be a better defensive player, just full stop. So... Um, I think it's I think it's Giannis right now. Um, I do wonder. I would be happy with either one. Yeah, right. I do yeah. wonder if the evolution of Giannis's game is actually to put on a little weight and just become like a full time center. Um, mm. that might where, be. Where can he add though? Because I don't. He's, think he's, he's gotten okay in the post. I think he could get even better. No, I'm sorry. Um, like the 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 size though. See, I'm thinking he's so big in the upper body. Oh he's not, yeah, he's not that big lower. You know, he doesn't have that those like tree trunk legs where it's just like a, that's what I mean. It's kind of like changing, yeah, changing his frame yeah. a little bit and just to be able to take a beating down there. Interesting. Yeah, um, uh, but like maybe that's the answer. Is he just becomes like a f- real a real full time five who just mm-hmm. is a menace on the pick and roll and offensive rewards and transition. But I don't know. It's an interesting question. Um, all right. Let's see the next question. We'll take a couple more. I got to go because I got a baby crying in the background. All right. Hit it, DJ. All right, JG. Question. What's the word on the lawsuit between the Knicks and the Raptors? What's your um, inside reporting on that, DJ? I had none. You're, you're in the no courtrooms. Inside. You're in the yes. courtrooms. You're, you're studying the docket. Unfortunately, uh, I am not. Um, <laughs> but Adam Silver did address it in his, um, yes. his press conference recently. Um, didn't obviously give any details, but he did say, um, which I thought this was relatively interesting that he would reserve comment because he's, you know, this may end up getting to his desk anyway. So um, sort of anticipating that, you know, I don't know the, the machinations aware of how it gets out of the legal system as it is, and then gets over um, to the league. But um, to suggest that it's going to get to his desk. I mean, he, I think he's, he's hedging a little bit. Um, I don't know. Uh, I, at first, I thought it was a a pretty um, big deal. Um, at this point, you know, I, I just feel like I've heard enough um, really smart people talk about how while this may have gone a little bit beyond what is customary when a player or not, when a um, personnel uh, changes teams, um, it didn't most didn't think it rose to the to where the Knicks took it. Um, however, you know, we'll we'll see where where this goes. You know, I'm obviously not gonna. Um, predict anything but um you know no inside information but it does i thought it was noteworthy that adam silver you know suggested that it may come to him eventually so um doesn't really answer the question however you know you know stay tuned because i I, I do i do think it's it's an interesting thing to follow for sure yeah don't think there's much of a word in terms of anything new um last i heard there's nothing new on the docket so the complaints just still out there waiting for an answer which they'll have to file Depends. I, I probably thirty days from the complaint, which is probably coming up pretty soon. So, like the, the answer, the Raptors' answer to the complaint will be out there soon, presumably, unless it's dropped before then. Um, I, I I would bet the league is trying to just like keep it internal if they can. It's kind of weird that the Knicks file filed the lawsuit here. Um, in ter- like I don't know. I, in terms of like what I, the actual accusations, I'm not like. 
I'm not blown away by them. Uh, I don't think that they're going to compromise anything that the Knicks do or try to do. Uh, in some ways, I think it's much ado about nothing, although it, it's actually like more of a legal issue than a basketball issue, I guess. Like it, it doesn't really impact anything to me. So no, no yeah. not much of a word there, JG. Yeah, I will say if the, if it, the Knicks can, can prove that the Raptors head coach had, you know, was sort of leading this, then, you know, I think there is more... Uh, and it's worth obviously for the Knicks pursuing, but we just don't know. It was a, the Knicks complaint. We don't know. Raptors, as you said, haven't responded yet. So we'll, you know, we'll see. Um, I guess more to come. All right. We got any more, Justin? All right. This is the last one I'm going to take. DJ, you're welcome to stay on and answer more. I'm going to, I'm going to call it because I'm trying to stay married. All right. Capo says, what teams do y'all think involve themselves in trade talks with Houston? If any, Oh, wow. That is, um, I, Go ahead. I just hope none. I, <laughs> I think this is um, now look, I can get on the high horse and and talk about the fact that, you know, what Kevin Porter is alleged to have done is uh, reprehensible and awful and no team should even entertain trading him, even if it's just just to wave him and recoup some some draft picks. Um, with that said, some team is going to trade for him. I mean, this is just what I, I just I think that there's going to be. You know, it may not happen tomorrow, may not happen in the next few days, but I think that there will be a sort of like, all right, this is out of the news cycle. Let's try to sneak this in and get a couple of draft picks and move on. But what's his, I, con- I would, what's his contract? Do you, do so you know it it's guaranteed this year. Um, I don't, I think the number might be 15, 16 million, um, but it is guaranteed. And then it is he's got a bunch of non guarantees after that. So um, mm-hmm. that is sort of where the Rockets are right now, where they're trying to obviously save. Um, save on that guarantee, but they also were needing him to play. Um, this is a team that really, you know, had some high hopes and they, they want to win games this year. And he was, you know, an important piece to that in terms mm. of what, what they, how important, how important do you think he was to them winning games? Well, uh, the question is how much does he impact winning versus what the Rockets sort of plan for him? Um, I think he was going to play 25 to 30 minutes. Right. Those might be two different questions. My point, like in terms of winning games, I'm not sure how impactful he actually is, especially when you have Jalen green soaking up a lot of minutes. Um, So I don't know if it'll like hurt their wins. Obviously they're, they were hoping to like either make him increase value, whether as a player and as someone who can impact winning, he is very talented or as a, uh, an asset to trade out. Now he is a toxic asset that, as you say, would have to, you'd have to attach picks in order to get rid of him. Yeah. Uh, I don't know which teams to answer your question. I, I, Capo, I, I honestly have zero insider idea as to who would entertain such a thing. Um, but I think DJ is probably right that at some point it'll wash over. Um, unfortunately that's how these things go. And some team will try to try to sneak it in on a Friday afternoon and get some draft picks out of it. Um, but I don't know who, I hope not the Knicks. I hope not the Knicks either. Um, all right. On that note, God, can we, is there any, uh, Justin, are there any other like more upbeat questions that we can, we can answer this on? If not, it's okay, but thanks brother. Okay. Which team do you think will give Knicks trouble in the Eastern Conference outside of the top three? Okay, so the top three are the so we're assuming uh, Celtics, the Celtics, and the Sixers, the Heat, mm. the Heat with Lillard. The Sixers are the Sixers still considered top three if Harden like might not play? Yeah, um, that's, well, that's a good question. Well, all right, well let's say Cleveland first. Oh, I forgot Cleveland. Well, yes, I don't think I definitely don't think Jordan was projecting them in the top three. However, you know, 
younger roster, second year Mitchell, you, you bring it, brought in some shooters, uh, mm -hmm. to sort of, um, you know, help out on there, that wing. Do you think they've done enough to where you would, you would, I mean, they're obviously a viable threat to the Knicks, even though the Knicks wiped them out in the playoffs. Um, how much of a threat would you, would you consider them right now? Uh, what does give the Knicks trouble? Does that mean like in a playoff series? I guess we can define it however we want. Um, I don't think Cleveland's going to be an easy out for the Knicks again. I think it's more dependent on Mobley's development than anything else and anything they did in the offseason. Um, yep. But I think if Evan Mobley starts to really develop into an offensive threat as a shooter, as a playmaker, uh, then that changes the whole calculus and that team becomes a real threat in a lot of ways. Um, so I, I, you know, I, I think they could give the Knicks trouble. Um, I think that the Bucks are the worst matchup. And I've always thought that for the Knicks, um, because you think about Drew Holiday guarding Brunson, you think about Giannis guarding Julius, and you think about the fact that they have stretch fives, which means that Mitch is, has to be out of the paint, something that he struggles with. And then it's just like Giannis being Giannis. So I always thought that was the worst matchup. And the Knicks have played Boston well. Uh, I don't have confidence that they beat Boston in a playoff series, but they, they have handled Boston well. Um, and then outside of those teams, I don't know the Sixers. What, what, what about the Hawks? And I know that you know mm. they. I think there's enough depth on that roster right now, and I think you get you know second year Murray, and you have these young guys in Griffin and, and Jalen Johnson. Where if one of them, maybe even both of them, take that next step, and a Kongwu who I think is on the cusp of being a really big time. Uh, you know, not an all-star, but a really good starting center in this league. I think that that team at least has given me a little bit. Of, I wouldn't be shocked to put it this way, that they're in the top five. Are they sliding Hunter to the four in their starting lineup so, now? Is it going to be bogey yeah, with Murray? I Well, yeah, it's a good question. I think if I had to just guess, it's going to be a Hunter, Sadiq Bay, maybe mm -hmm. three, four, and you can kind of interchange both of them. They're both six, seven and incredibly strong. And you can figure out, you know, whether, you know, who you're guarding, depending on the matchup right. or they go bogey and just, as a six man. That makes yeah. Sense. You can go, yeah. So I, I think that they're really deep and um, I think Trey young has become very underrated. I think he's a, he's, he's an all-star level player. I think this is a really good team that, you know, I think the Knicks are, a, I wouldn't say tier above. I think within that second group, I think the Knicks are a little bit, further ahead, but I think the Hawks are young enough and have enough upside to where it just wouldn't shock me that they finish ahead of the Knicks. And um, if they ended up playing in a four or five matchup, listen, we've seen Trey young dominate a playoff series against the Knicks different roster. I get it, but he is a, he's a supremely talented player who I think is being slept on a little bit right now. Um, so they, they give me a little bit of a, of a pause. I think this is yeah. a good roster and you have Quinn Snyder with a full season, full training mm -hmm. camp off season. Mm -hmm. I, I think that'll be a huge thing for them as well. Yeah. Yeah. It's fair. I mean, Indy has a lot of talent. Um, and my, miles Turner's had some big games against Knicks in the past. Um, yeah, shout out Miles Turner calling the Knicks America's team. Yeah, really. You, you gotta love that. This is the like like the, the point of the season where you get these player interviews and they're just saying the craziest things. And you're just like the Morris twin interview. I don't know if you saw that one. I, I did. I like you get all these player podcasts now, and there are a lot of them, and a lot of them are great and they're fun, but like man, some of the things these guys just like spew and, and it and it makes you like there's a 
there's a degree to which like we assume that players like are so smart about the game because they play it on the highest level and they mm. are to some they are but also some of them don't really know necessarily why they're so good at it <laughs> and <laughs> there doesn't playing at the highest level doesn't assume like incredible in-depth understanding of how the game works i think is an important takeaway from some of these interviews but also it's just like silly season out there like they're saying it's wild what's going on yeah my america's team the new york knicks sure um but yeah like in the indies can be tough they're tough in transition obviously Uh, obi scoring 26 is like inevitable it's gonna happen there's Mm -hmm. no doubt it always happens um and then orlando always gives the knicks some trouble um, and I think they're going to be decent. And they yeah, just, we, you talked about how the size, right? The Knicks aren't a, aren't a huge team outside the centers, and that's a you know, big the Magic size. team. They have size, yeah. and also again, like with Wendell Carter being able, like at least a, a capable shooter from three, where Mitch has to step mm-hmm. out, that always scares me. Um, so yeah, the East is there are a lot of good teams, a lot of good teams, not a lot of bad ones, um, and it's going to be uh, a grind. There are no soft spots in the schedule necessarily where you can just assume some wins. Like it just doesn't really happen anymore now with the way the league is. Um, I think. So Detroit, where are you with the Knicks in terms of? Can you give me a range of wins that that are? Yeah, that you're comfortable I, with like a I, low and a high end. I yeah, I think. I think fifty would surprise me, but not shock me. But I would mm-hmm. say like between forty five and forty eight, forty four and forty eight, something like that. Um, that's where I would probably go. Yeah, I would agree. I, mean, I think the, I think but fifty I'm, is on the high end, but I, you know, I, I think continuity. We've talked that words come up a few times in yeah. this uh, conversation, but I think the Knicks, their continuity is going to be a big deal for them. I think it's a, a big advantage. Absolutely. All right. Well, this has been a lot of fun, DJ. Great to catch up. Can't wait to be able to actually break down some games with you. That'll be fun. Uh, Just around the corner. But uh, appreciate everybody. Please like and subscribe and give five star ratings and share reviews and whatever you can do to uh, to to promote us and our team. KFS in general always is doing great work. and wishing a happy new year, a Shana Tova to all celebrating Rosh Hashanah starting tomorrow night. Um, it should be a, a great year for everybody and for the Knicks. DJ, thank you so much. Uh, we will thank talk you, to sir. everybody soon. Thank you.